What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by one of. My favorite podcast host, Connor Rogers. Connor, good evening. How are you? Good, man. Uh, Chase, I appreciate you having me. How are you, dude? I'm good. Uh, the Bleacher Report, uh, I will say, um, something that really does bum me out um, right now with the Bleacher Report podcasting network is uh, Sims and Lefko. They broke up. And now yeah. I'm having to <laughs> listen to both of them on different feeds. And I already listened to too many podcasts and now they're separating and it, uh, it it's hard for me because I, I really love that podcast. I know they were great together. And I, I worked with those guys for many years, obviously still working with Lefko. But I mean, really, when I started at Bleacher Report, I worked with Chris almost every day. And they're so good uh, individually that when they started the show together, it's amazing you know, how much better they really found a way to make each other too so it was such a cool show and it's cool to see chris doing his thing now but uh i i mean you know could always use a little more left go in his shows i'll say that much yeah um i they were just that monday after the, the nfl weekend just an hour and 45 of them just because they just got into the got into the minutia kind of like you guys do uh with matt miller and everything on like the college football scene and everything i i like that getting both of you guys back to back and now um it's a little it's a little broken up and i just i'll feel guilty when i'm going back and forth and i'm gonna have to make decisions this fall yeah you are Ooh. you will because <laughs> there's no right way now, i'm doing though, all of it i'll tell you right now Lefko's gonna have some awesome guests uh these next couple months so i mean for anyone that is torn between them I think both shows will do really, really well and just be just be awesome to follow both those guys and see where they go on their own. Yeah, and also, how about everybody stop splitting off and doing their own podcast? I'm already fighting for uh, my place in this podcasting sports podcasting world, and I need less. I don't need more. I don't need Sims getting his own version. I, I want him back on with somebody else that already is established. Let's put him on Damashek full time. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's do <laughs> I feel you, man. It's crazy. Like I've, I've been reading so many articles lately of just the growth in the podcast world, not even from like a pure dollar standpoint or anything like that, but just the amount of shows that have taken over the space because there's the ears there that are listening to all of them. It's it's really amazing. If you go on, there's there's so many different shows. There's so many different hosts, some familiar faces, some new faces. And 
I think what's so cool is it's a world that's allowed me uh, to really carve out my own voice in space. And I'm sure you would, you would agree with that for yourself too. Yeah, for sure. Um, but whenever, whenever anyone younger than me asks for advice on this, I, I'm always like, Oh, don't do it because I don't <laughs> yeah. need more competition. So, um, you're going to fail and I need you to do something else. Go get into radio, do that. It's a great industry right now. Get into radio, uh, yeah. I, let, leave the podcasting to Connor and I, and, yeah, uh, don't clog our <laughs> If I can uh, destroy the competition, I will gladly do that. Um, what is the coolest thing about working with Matt Miller? Because he is a rising... Can we say he's a rising star now? He's entering DJ territory with all the other big draft names. Um, he's someone I read all the time. And um, I don't know. I think it's it's cool that uh, the stick to football stuff is taking off. And he is this established name that you get to work with on a weekly basis. Yeah, I think we could still call him a rising star just because with Matt, it's so interesting because he, he has like the true break in the business story that I think everybody wants to follow where it's he got in and he, his brand just kind of blew up because he was doing so much work, so much scouting work across both, not just college football to the draft, but he was also doing NFL scouting work. And he's carved out so many sources in the, in and around the league where he has so much information, a lot of it that he, he doesn't even really you know, reveal more often than not. So I think Matt is a rising star in a sense where he went from the phase of just being a guy on, on the internet, writing really great stuff and making great content to being a star at Bleacher Report to now being a household name in NFL media, like you said, trying to get on, you know, trying to really get to the same level. And I, th- I would really agree that he's there as somebody like Daniel Jeremiah, who we both respect. And I mean, working with Matt is just awesome because at the end of the day, Matt is one of my best friends, and, and that's the flat-out truth. I mean, before we started the show, we were really close. Uh, we worked together at Bleacher Report for a couple of years before the launch of Stick to Football, I think about two or three full years before we even launched the show. And I think when it comes down to it, it, it you work better with, you know, it, it's not always that you should work with your friends, right? But Sometimes in the right relationships, it, it does work out better because of the chemistry. And I think podcasting is actually one of those lanes. It's, it, me and Matt sit down every, what well, I mean, me, him, and, and Mello record every Sunday night. And then, you know, on Tuesdays, it'll just be me and Matt, and we'll sit down and record a show. And it's it's having a conversation with somebody that you know so well to the point where it's almost scary. And a lot of people ask us, they're like, Are there a lot of edits in that show? And it's like, no, it's it's pretty seamless. It's like if we were sitting down to eat or at the bar for a drink and just talking about what we do for a living. And that's covering college football and the NFL draft and all the rumors and buzz around it, all the valuations around it. And we try to make it the same way when we have guests on the show. I mean, that's how it always is. And a lot of the guests are people that we've remained friends with and and great guests, whether it's, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, and this week we'll have on Tony Jefferson. So that's what it's so awesome working with Matt because I think we're such different people. I mean, he's from the Midwest. I'm from the East Coast. So, you know, he's he's a Missouri guy. I'm a New York guy. We sound different. Uh, we're very different people, but at the end of the day, and with different opinions, but at the end of the day, it, it somehow brings so much chemistry together for like a really just a, a fun show. It, it doesn't have to be the most information or the most opinionated. It's just a little mix of everything. And at the end of the day, we're just having fun talking about football. Have you been to Joplin, Missouri yet? Yes, I've been twice. Okay. Two times. What is that like? And, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, man, it is it is something else, especially for like a New York kid. Um, the first time I was out there, 
it was, I mean, it was really cool, but it was like simple. It was easy because like Matt just picked me up from the Fayetteville airport. And then we were in Joplin for a night, like partying with his friends. Then we went down to the Royals game the next day in Kansas city. So I wasn't really there that, that long. And then the second time we actually had a stick to football summit out there. So my producer from Turner came with me, uh, whiskey, Dan, we call him. And, and my, uh, other, my director and producer at Bleacher Report, uh, Jesse came with me. So it was a great, and her dog. So we flew into Fayetteville, rented a pickup truck, drove through Arkansas, uh, went up to Joplin and, and had the summit up there and, and really got a real authentic Joplin experience. And it, it's just so funny being up there, you know, small town, uh, great drinks, great steaks. And, it's so authentic and it's really interesting because it's so different from New York city, obviously. And I really, it's like being in another world. There's really nothing else I could say. Everybody's super polite, super nice, much more nicer than New Yorkers. And I can say that cause I am one. So, uh, it's, it's like a culture shock in a way, but, uh, it's, it's really cool. And it's at the same time, really weird. So you might be moving to Missouri. It sounds like you're I, I sold. Can, I can promise you that won't be happening. Uh, okay. I love Missouri and I, I love my, my homies out there and, you know, all the guys that, that uh, you know, like Matt and all those guys. And, but at the end of the day, uh, I think it, it's going to be uh, coast coastal for me. I think it's the East coast right now and hopefully forever. But at the end of the day, the only other <laughs> okay. place I can, only other place I can move is the West coast. There you go. Um, he's also just, he's set for, for life because his Twitter handle is NFL draft scout, which I don't know how he got. But uh, just, early entry, right? It has to be early yeah. entry. I mean, it's unbelievable. Is there a better handle right now for anybody? If you really want to just go ahead and cement that brand status forever, just that kind of handle where everybody's going to see it all the time. You're going to be in everything. It, it's it's the perfect handle. Well, it's of course it is, and it's so funny because a lot of people always tweeted him. They're like, "Hey, when I started following you like ten years ago, actually, it might be way longer than that now." You know, people are always like, I thought you were like a, a, a scout for the NFL. <laughs> so it's like so hilarious. <laughs> and that, they just stayed following him because they loved Matt's personality and his scouting in the media. But people were, you know, people didn't understand. It's, it's like, a, I don't want to say a persona because Matt is exactly who he is, that he is on Twitter, as hilarious as that sounds, joking about his divorces, drinking beer, writing about football. And uh, it, it's hilarious. But it's one of those things where, like, I always sit there and wonder, like, when I got Twitter, like, uh, mind you, I was an idiot because I was still in, I think, high school, maybe even younger. I don't even know. But it's just like, I probably used some stupid username when I could have had, like, at Connor or something like that, which would have been yeah. worth so so much more money. And I'm lucky enough that I have my name. It's just Connor J. Rogers, which is which works. But I look at, I always, we always wonder, like, what is Matt's Twitter handle worth? Like, what if he sold the NFL Draft Scout handle? Yeah. So it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, it, those things always make you wonder, like, how much are those worth? Like, what if, like, you had a comp- the name of a company and you own the rights to the handle? You could probably just make a living selling those off. But uh, you need yeah. a time machine for that, Chase. So I think we're out of luck, dude. <laughs> um, so you have the shore in your location handle on your Twitter account. And... I I wonder what that is. As someone who's never been to the Jersey Shore, how would you describe the shore? And the fact that you're calling it the shore, um, it raises some eyebrows. So, Connor, explain yourself. I totally get it. Um, so, my parents moved down there after my dad retired from the fire department in New York City. 
Uh, cause when you're in the fire department in New York city, you have to live in New York. That's, that's kind of how it goes. So my parents bought a house down there after retirement. And I mean, I'd been going down since I was a kid, they met down there. So I would like the summer for me is about traveling, right? Like that's the only time I get off for the year, especially with the draft calendar. I mean, May is even kind of a busy month in June and July, at least the first half of July are really slow. So I, I like to travel. And when I say travel, not go down the shore. I love the shore, but when I'm not traveling far, that's where I spend my weekends. And uh, I absolutely love it. And that's what I call it. I know there's a lot of people at the Jersey Shore. It's a lot of towns. I'm not a seaside guy. For people listening to this and thinking I hang out in fist pump at Seaside Boardwalk, <laughs> like the Jersey Shore, it's not that. It's a small town of Manasquan. It's actually a lot nicer than <laughs> the, the fist pump nation that the Jersey Shore was. But um, yeah, it's just a little getaway for the summer. I wish I could actually be down there more. But I mean, at the end of the day, you got to be up in New York and pay the bills, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. I, I'll allow it. It's fine. It's fine, Connor. I, I it's some it. of my persona that I have to, I have to let out. I can't completely hide who I am behind all these these football takes all the time. That's good. Um, that's that's what the podcast medium is for, man. Is uh, peeling behind that curtain a little bit. Um, so you're a, you're an East Coast guy, a Jersey guy, New York guy. Are you happy with what the Jets have done this off season? I have to say, I really am. I mean, I think I've been fairly critical when the time was right to be. And I think this is a team that really blew things up uh, two years ago now and and tanked essentially for a quarterback, got their guy in Sam Darnold. And now it's about putting the pieces around him, right? I mean, you got the foundation in place or you hope you do. But at the end of the day, they needed a skilled talent that could change the game. And Le'Veon Bell is that guy. And I think a lot of people have forgotten about Le'Veon Bell and how good he is. I think there's concerns there that he'll check out. And I think the contract has been written up really well that prevents that. The guaranteed money at signing is nothing over the top. And I think it's a super incentive-based contract. And obviously signing a guy like CJ Mosley, that'll essentially be the captain of the, the team with Jamal Adams on that defense is really exciting. Jamison Crowder in the slot, an effective slot weapon. When you look at Sam Darnold's game coming out of USC with Deontay Burnett, I think Crowder can be an elevated version of that. So, it's exciting. They got a long way to go. I mean, you look at it. I grew up in a family where at the time before the PSLs, which is a whole nother topic we could debate, but it's just nonsense seat licensing fees. Before those came about, we had season tickets. So, I mean, I grew up in a Jets uh, Jets family, and it's it's been crazy to kind of work in football and understand from an operational standpoint, you know, how things go. And there's been a lot of bad years, and, and hopefully with Darnold and these pieces around them, uh, there'll be some good years ahead because I think the suffering Jets fans that I that I interact with on Twitter, who are for the most part pretty awesome, uh, deserve it. Yeah, I'm still. I, I haven't decided. We'll have to see what the rest of their offseason looks like and how they draft. But I'm. Still they got a long ways never... to go still. Right, and Gase. It's. I, I still wonder like how much influence Peyton Manning has in that group. That was still like the most under talked about. Uh, storyline with this Jets offseason in my opinion is that they were it, buried in like a New York Post piece was that uh, Peyton Manning called Chris Johnson to like yeah. just say hire Adam Gase and he did it it was down to like he was the deciding vote basically between Mike McCarthy and Adam Gase which I thought was interesting like I, I want to believe that I, I don't even want to say I want to believe I, I seem to believe that Peyton Manning is like a shadow commissioner of this league now 
and he has so much more influence across so many different teams that we still we we have no idea i just feel like he has so much influence in so many different organizations that uh i don't know shout out to him for just basically being a gm for a lot of different teams or whoever he doesn't actually have to get back into football because he's just uh he, he operates in all these big circles anyway and all these owners are willing to just like call him and respect him and everything else and if he wants to get into the ownership game which seems like more likely to me is just the kind of person he is that he he would have his eyes on that rather than just a gm role um i don't know am i crazy for thinking that was this the thing that stood out to me was peyton manning is the guy who got adam case hired in new york i don't think it's crazy at all i mean like you said he's the guy that pulls strings right and when you get that call especially chris johnson let's not forget he's still relatively inexperienced in this role this is the first time he's been the point man uh, at a coaching search. It's always obviously been his older brother, Woody, who left for the UK to be an ambassador, you know, for the Trump party. And um, I think when you look at Chris coming in and taking over when Woody left, it's, that's an overwhelming experience for anyone. And I think he had to really lean on advisors to make that hire. At the end of the day, he, him and general manager, Mike McCagman, you know, were the, the voices to make that higher. And I think when, when you're inexperienced like that, when Peyton Manning calls you, how do you think you're going to feel, right? You're going to take the phone call and you're, you're going to trust the guy that doesn't mean it was the right decision. I actually was pretty vocal. I felt they should have went with a more risky hire, like a Todd Munkin, who would have been a first year NFL head coach, but would have really brought a lot to the offense. I, I think Gase will do the same. It's just Munkin probably comes with the less baggage I think Gase obviously had some friction with players in Miami. He also had some good relationships in Miami. So, and hopefully that's something he learned from if he had enough time to learn from it in between jobs. And I'm with you. I do think the hire was at least at the minimum somewhat influenced by a Peyton Manning phone call when it comes down to it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I, I just, I think a lot of it is Mike McCagnan. I, I don't know if he's a lame duck GM, there's a lot riding on I could just see him and Adam Gase not being with this organization two years from now. I just, too much, I don't like that kind of situation where you go after Le'Veon Bell, you kind of are in a desperation mode where you have the quarterback, there's no more excuses, you moved on from Bulls, this is this is it. Um, so, I, I don't know. You gotta win to games. See. I mean, you gotta yes. win games. You look at these two here, especially from McCagnan, he, he came in and inherited, what was it, a 4-12 and 12 roster and turned it into 10-6. and six with a lot of veteran moves and, and that core fizzled out and there's been a lot of losing sense. I do think Todd Bowles was just not very good at his job as a head coach. He's a great defensive mind. He's good with players, but being a head coach is just totally different and he just wasn't built for it. But McCagnan didn't surround him with enough pieces and, and now McCagnan has gotten to go out and hire what people believe is his guy and Adam Gase. And he got to pick his quarterback and Sam Darnold. He got to sign his premier free agents. I mean, I know the Jets had a lot of cap space, but that's still a lot of cash out of the owner's pockets to go get a Le'Veon Bell and a CJ Mosley in one offseason. When it comes down to it, that's a lot of cash. So I'm with you, Chase. you, you got to start winning ball games this year. And I know the draft will be really important to the impact on that and whatever's left of this trade market. But the, the excuses are really off the table this year. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, let's get into some draft stuff because you are an expert on all of this and I want to throw a lot of different stuff at you while I have you on uh, the podcast tonight. So um, I want to start with something that I'm always fascinated by when I'm reading different draft profiles and reading different people's pieces on this. And I want to get your thoughts. Weirdest thing that people overanalyze with prospects every year that drive you nuts? Oh, the NFL Combine. 
without a doubt. Okay. And I and I love the NFL Combine, and I have my uses for it besides just going and being a gatherer of information from various people. And I think athletic testing is very important, but I think people mix up uh, thresholds and just, you know, amazing testing. I think players have to meet a certain threshold, right? Like if you're a cornerback and you run a 4-7, the odds in history shows you you're probably not going to succeed. As awful as that is, and sure, there are a handful that have, but for the most part, you won't. And it's just kind of how it goes. But I think what the film shows you more often than not, you should go into the combine with a pretty good idea of who's athletic and who's not. Now, there's various ways to raise other questions. Like I think Brian Burns is the key example of when the combine can be ultra beneficial. I, I was down at Miami, Florida State this year. Brian Burns was playing at 225 pounds, maybe you know a couple pounds lighter, a couple pounds heavier. That's where he was at around six foot five. Very athletic, very productive against good players defensive ends in the NFL chase don't play at 225 pounds. He comes into the NFL combine, weighs 249 pounds and tests just like the guy that was running around making plays at 225 pounds, phenomenal athletic testing. That's where you, you went to the combine and you answered a question that you didn't have the answer to before it. You know what I mean? That's kind of where it goes to it for me, where there's always going to be questions like that. But I think a lot of people, start to move their rankings a little too furiously, a little too wildly uh, just by a, a tenth of a second on certain 40 times and things like that. Okay. Yeah. That's uh that's interesting. And like, I'm also very envious of people that can just like add 20 pounds. Like it's nothing. And just, yeah, it's amazing. Right. I, I don't understand it. They had like, they had like two months to do it. That's what's incredible about it. You had all that weight and you stay that explosive. And I think it's, it's really impressive. I think some of the training facilities out there, you know, whether it's XPE and Exos, and they're doing such a phenomenal job getting these guys ready. And these guys are putting in the work, like putting in phenomenal work. And that's why it's, it's almost shocking these days when somebody tests so poorly, like below those threshold numbers I was talking about earlier. Cause it's like, you know, wow. Like I, I just, I, it's, it's a surprise and you didn't see it on tape or were they not ready? Here's the most recent example of that. What is the most recent example of that? Yeah, who who's who Chikai Polite? Chikai Polite um, from Florida, a player I loved, uh, great pass rusher, first round tape, and then you go and you know it's one thing to bomb the interviews, but it's another thing to just—he's a better athlete than what he showed, and it's clear he wasn't prepared. It's clear he just—he wasn't ready for what the NFL Combine is. And at the end of the day, I—it might seem hypocritical as I just said people overreact to it, but when you bomb the biggest job interview of your life, it at least makes you go back and revisit things. Okay. And there you have it. Florida state actually on a better path than uh, the university of Florida right now. Oof. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that confirms it. Um, more valuable in your opinion in today's NFL game, cornerbacks or edge rushers, because I'm going through the first round mocks of all these different um, smart people. And there's just a lot, a lot of edge rushers. And a lot of these edge rushers are going to be Bud Dupree's, TJ Watts, Vic Beasley's, Dante Fowler's. It seems like those are more difficult now to even spot where it's like they'll get a couple like 15 sack years, but the pressure numbers will never measure out year in, year out. And it just, it, it it's just a misnomer and you have to dive deeper to see like, are they getting consistent pressure and just unlucky or did they just get really lucky one year and um, profited off of it? And people just thought they were good. Um, but then corners, I just with how nickel packages are the base defenses for most teams and you can never just have enough corners. And uh, just with 
when you have Tyree kills in the NFL and you have all these different guys who teams are now just prioritizing like okay we have this guy it's a mismatch on the edge no one on that defense can cover this guy this is it Travis Kelsey yeah we're just going to throw to him 19 times in this game like the Colts Chiefs game was just Patrick Mahomes targeting Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey over and over and over and over again and it worked it turns out targeting good players is a very good strategy in uh in football and I wonder if there's ever going to be a blip where we go back and now we're going to see like 10 corners taken in the first round instead of 10 edge rushers. Am I crazy for wondering why we're not seeing more corners pop up uh, in that first round rather than edge rushers? Yeah, I think it's a talent issue in this class specifically. I think this class has a couple good, you know, average corner prospects, but they don't have the star talent at the top. And I really like Byron Murphy from Washington. I really like Greedy Williams from LSU. Two guys I got to see you know, up close and in person this year. And I think both are phenomenal players. I think after that, there was a pretty big drop off. And I think to answer your original question, I still think the edge pass rusher is more valuable than the corner because I think the edge pass rusher can make an average corner look really good or great. And I think at the end of the day, a team with no pass rush, you know, their corners can look bad, even if they're good. It's the way the rules are in the game right now. Corners aren't allowed to play receivers in a, in a physical style anymore. They're not allowed to really do anything. I mean, once you get beyond those five yards, and they're calling it at the line sometimes, which is just insane. The refs are, are really trained to make these calls all the time, whether it's, you know, forget pass interference. It's the illegal contact penalties that result in automatic first downs. They're getting very, very uh, flag happy with these. And I think I know there was, concern about pass rushers being able to hit quarterbacks I think that really died down in the second half of the season they got that rule under control and I think they they make the quarterback uncomfortable and that's the most important thing in any aspect of defense in my opinion is making a quarterback uncomfortable because you have the guys like Mahomes that can run around and make plays and never look rattled but he's a one in a billion kind of guy most of the time you have the average quarterbacks you know, like Jared Goff and Derek Carr that can look great when they're protected and can look awful when they're not. And I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, you love having cover players, but they can only do so much because of the way the rules are. They can only run around in the hip pocket of their matchups for so long, but great pass rushers, those guys always get home eventually. Okay. Interesting. Maybe it's just the Pats. This is all just Pats related where it's like Stefan Gilmore and JC Jackson were just so good for them last year where it just having two guys that you just know are locked down guys and can and you have Patrick Chung who could still do stuff like it's I don't know maybe like maybe that's all it is of just like they haven't really had any great pass rushers and they're just finding ways to win and they just have these elite secondary guys now and maybe that's all it is is I'm just in the Packers investing two first rounders and CBs I don't know maybe it just seems like more smart teams are doing that and relying on that uh, rather than a consistent pass rush just because so many of those guys don't uh, pan out um is the middle linebacker like the superstar middle linebacker type from the early 2000s making a comeback because we have Deion Jones. We have a bunch of other guys coming in. You're like, oh, the do-it-all linebacker who can cover and blitz and do all kinds of stuff. Is that uh, a thing again? Do we start to look out for our next Zach Thomas types and Brian Urlacher and all that kind of stuff? Are we going to get more superstar middle linebackers in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think we are. I think it really matters now because of how often, something you were talking about earlier You know, with, with Kelsey, 
the, the tight ends and running backs affect the pass game so much now. You need the tight ends. Uh, you need the middle linebackers to be able to run and cover. And they can't just be run and cover guys. Otherwise, they'd be safeties. And even some of the safeties now play like linebackers. It's crazy. These yeah. hybrids. Uh, you look at the linebackers. they got to be able to stop the run. I, I look what New England did in the postseason. They just ran the ball down everyone's throats. So yep. I, I'm excited. Roquan Smith last year was a phenomenal prospect. Phenomenal. Uh, he, his speed was unbelievable. His instincts, his toughness, his character and leadership in the middle. And this year you got Devin White and Devin Bush. On Sick of Football, we literally just call them the Devins because it's them and everyone else way below them. Special players. I mean, they can run. They run like running backs, these two. They see things before the snap. They hit you like a ton of bricks. They make plays. They strip the ball. Interceptions. Like you said, they blitz. They can get after the quarterback. When teams are starting to get to these spread concepts, you need linebackers that could steal the, you know, they could really erase the flats. They could really take out the flats. They could run down the seam with tight ends. They could sit in the zone and, and they could pick up guys and run deep with them or run across the field with them if they have to break out of the zone. So there's so many different things these guys do. And it's such a hard position to play nowadays on three downs. Yeah, you could sit here and there's a lot of guys in the league that could play two downs as run stuffing thumpers. So there's guys that could be third down dime backs, dime backers that can really are just there once again to be those flat erasers. But the, the linebacker that could stay on the field for all three downs, like Devin White, you know, and Devin Bush and Roquan Smith is new age kind of guys that, you know, obviously you said Deion Jones, a perfect example. I think those guys have so much value because they can really handle any roles. And they're also making calls in the middle of the defense. A lot of these guys, they're setting up everyone whether it's the defensive line, whether it's getting the other pieces in the box set up in coverage, or it's diagnosing blitz pickups. So these guys really matter, and they can really change the game. Why is Josh Allen suddenly, maybe not even suddenly, but just, it's amazing to me if you thought about what draft boards looked like going into last year's college football season. Ed Oliver seemed like the consensus number one overall guy. And then, or it was either him or Bosa. And then Oliver slips. He has some weird stuff with Major Applewhite in the sidelines. It was just a it was a bad PR year for Ed Oliver. But why is he now suddenly going behind Josh Allen? What changed with those two? Well, it's tough because you're asking the wrong person. I think I'm one of the few people left in the world that hasn't made too many moves. Ed Oliver started out as my number two player on my board when I made this board in July. And Ed Oliver right now is number two on my board as I will officially <laughs> lock and seal my top 25 tonight at midnight. Nothing okay. is changing. He's phenomenal. I, I love the player. He's Him and Quinn and Williams and Nick Bosa are the three special talents in this class, and that's why they're my top three players, Bosa, Oliver, and Quinn and Williams in that order. I love all three of them. They can get out to the quarterback. They're, they can defend the run. They're all so athletic. Uh, their short area explosiveness is phenomenal. And then you go back to Josh Allen, and I can answer the question of why other people are doing it. And Josh Allen, for me, was a back-end round one player, top around two player coming out of his junior year. He really took some leaps and strides this year and improved his pass rush game. And now he's sitting at 19 for me. So that's a good jump. You know, you're a top around two player, and then you break into you know, the middle of the first round. That's a good jump at 19. I love Josh Allen off the ball. I think he can run and cover. I think he can make plays against the run off the ball. I know he had the huge sack numbers this year. I think 
he, you know, is really working on this pass rush plan. It's not rounded out yet. I think he wins on the outside. I don't think the bend is elite. It's good. It's not elite. Uh, I think his hands could use some work, and I think he doesn't really have an inside counter consistently against really good players. So I like Josh Allen, the athlete. I like Josh Allen, the versatile chess piece of a front seven. I, I don't think Josh Allen is uh, the same kind of get-after-the-quarterback-get-up-field kind of guy that Nick Bosa is, or even obviously different impl- different players playing on the interior more often than not, Oliver and Quinnen, but not like those guys either. So, but for the people that are, the people that will argue Josh Allen's the top whatever, top one, top two, top three player in this class, they see the traits and they think he could be molded into a superstar sack artist. And when the Josh Allen you're getting in camp this summer is not that guy, but Josh Allen that will be going to the NFL has the ceiling to become that guy. And it's projection based. I guess maybe I'm a doubter and it's funny to sit here and call myself a doubter of a guy I have 19th overall. I mean, that's a phenomenal place to be sitting. I but think he's probably going to go like fourth. Yeah. But I just don't buy into hype. And I think a lot of things yeah. are hype with the draft. A lot of it is hype. And I think he's a really good player. I just, if you're expecting him to be, I think a lot of people think he's, you know, like better than Bradley Chubb last year. And it's not. That's what I was thinking. I, yeah. I don't see it. Bradley was a yeah. more, just better hand usage, getting off blocks. And, and Bradley Chubb had double digit sacks this year. I'm just not ready to expect that of Josh Allen next year. I think it would be a real surprise to me if he came in the league and, and was a 12 sack guy right away. I think he could be a very good, versatile player right away. I, just, I don't think he's a sack artist. Okay. Rank and it's crazy to key... say that when you. Oh, yeah. Google his box score, right? You all get all these facts. Like, but you yeah. watch games against, the, you know, Georgia. God, and, this sounds uh, exactly like all the other busts, the Vic Beasley types, where it's like he has the sacks, and then you just, yeah, it's, just, you know, you, you see him against be the NFL competition, and he, he's just okay. He's just okay. He, he doesn't look like the Josh Allen that had, you know, a, a million sacks against inferior competition. And like I said, the ceiling is there, the untapped potential is there, but it's. It's going to take a little bit, and I think at the end of the day, I just prefer Quinn and Oliver and Bosa a lot more than him. Okay, I'm I agree with you. I think that I would bet a lot of a lot of money on Josh Allen busting. Um, and teams are going to be like, "How the hell did we take him over at Oliver?" Um, how would you rank the top five quarterback prospects in this class? What is your t- your order one through five? And Kyler Murray is number one. I'm a big fan of Kyler Murray. He's in my top 10 prospects right now. Dwayne Haskins is in my top 25. It's it's really Murray and Haskins and, and then a pretty big drop-off. I like the tools Drew Locke has. I like his arm. I think mechanically he's a little flawed, and I think under pressure he struggles. So it, it, Murray, Haskins, Locke. And then this is where it starts to get a little funky, and I'm still a little mixed up right now as I stack it. I know a lot of people like Daniel Jones at four. That's just not for me. I don't see it. I don't see the traits. I don't see amazing accuracy or top-tier athleticism. He's just a guy to me. So at number four, I honestly am buying into Tyree Jackson just because of what okay. you can mold You're not him worried about into. the height. No, <laughs> not at all. Six <laughs> foot seven, 250 pounds. Uh, you look at Tyree and his rocket arm, good athleticism. So I, I'm kind of buying more into players like him and Will Greer as four and five rather than a Daniel Jones type there. I love Will Greer. I, I don't understand why Will Greer doesn't get more 
love like if i'm the redskins i'm taking will Greer in the first round like you just keep adding dudes like i actually like them adding case keenum with the alex smith stuff was just uh, awful and not really their fault you could never have too many good quarterbacks it turns out this is a quarterback driven league and i would guess until you find the next answer take a quarterback in the first round every year until you have your superstar that's what i would yeah do. You, you gotta hit eventually right right like these teams just are like, oh, we, we, we screwed up. We can't do it. Like the Broncos. Oh, we messed up Paxton Lynch. Guess we can't draft a quarterback for a couple of years. No, you, you try again. You, you move on and you keep going. Keep um, swinging. Yeah. Yes. Um, doesn't make any sense to me, but I, I don't know. I like Will Greer. Um, which team, uh, this is from my notes that I wonder, uh, which team do you think needs to take a quarterback, but you don't think ultimately will this, uh, this spring? Uh, Jacksonville. I think, and I know it's crazy, right? We're sitting here. They just signed Nick Foles to a mega deal, but it's like, I don't, I don't think that's crazy. I just, I, I just look at them and I go, are we going to bet the bank on Nick Foles? And even if we are, are we going to bet the bank on Nick Foles for the next how many years? I mean, maybe one or two years is fine. I, this, listen, Chase, you're only, you know, unless you're the, the former, the Browns or the Jets or, and they've and the Raiders and, they're going to get out of this real soon because all three of those teams are going in the right direction. You only pick in the top 10 so many times and you mm-hmm. only have quarterbacks fall into your lap like that so many times. I look at Jacksonville and if Dwayne Haskins is there because teams overthink this, how do you not take him and let him sit behind Nick Foles? How do you not do it? And even if you're worried about, oh, he's not going to be there, you're at seven or what, you know, make the jump up. It's a couple spots. We saw the Jets go from six to three last year. Sure, it cost them a lot. Guess what? Think they care right now after getting Sam Darnold? Not at all. So I think it's Jacksonville for me. I really do. I think they're in a spot where they're picking in range to get a good player, and I think they're a team that don't you know don't push all your chips on Nick Foles. Keep your options open for the future. I think it's the Dolphins, and I think it's going to be a huge mistake because what we saw in Arizona last year is a situation where when you hire a defensive-minded guy in today's NFL and the off- you have an unproven offensive side of the ball and the offense is putrid, like they had one of the 10 worst um, offensive DVOA seasons of all time. That offense was terrible. Josh Rosen was pressured on like 43% of his dropbacks. It was a, it was a fucking disaster. And their coach got fired because you just can't put – on a putrid offensive product for 16 games and survive in today's world where everybody has like their Sean McVay's and like it's offense, offense, offense. And if you don't have a fun offense, it's going to get people in seats and get people's eyeballs. Even if you're bad, if you're fun, but bad, I think that's actually a better chance of you staying around with the team um, longer. And Flores, I'm rooting for him. He has a great story. I, I like the synergy between him and Chris Greer, but they are hiring a first time OC from the Pats and they're going into the year with Ryan Fitzpatrick and not a lot of like their move. They, I don't know, man, I could see it going really bad. I understand the tank for Tua stuff. And that's honestly not the worst thing with this group is to just have a mulligan year and get that quarterback next year. Cause then quarterback class next year will be better. But um, I don't know. I think it's a risky proposition. If you're uh, Brian Flores to roll the dice with Fitzpatrick and go two and 14 and expect in today's NFL climate to be guaranteed uh, year two coaching that team. Yeah. Well, hopefully he's been cleared by the ownership along with Chris Greer to have that tanking kind of year, right. To reset, to really, you know, build this team the way you want to. And, and they're, you know, probably going to bomb out this year and, and hopefully get their franchise passer of the future after doing so. And 
I think he, he, he probably wouldn't have taken that job, to be honest with you, if he had any reservations about that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, would it surprise you if Bidwell and Kime told Steve Wilkes the same thing last offseason? They took a quarterback oh, in the first course. round. No, of course. It's totally fair. I, I think when it comes down to it, it's you, you can never trust anyone in the NFL. Right. right? Uh, so, yeah, it's scary. It's a scary proposition. Uh, you know, that's why you, that's why they get these four-year deals, because they can go get paid for a couple of years after being screwed over entirely. But, I mean, hopefully Miami's ownership will operate a, a little differently. Let's hope so. Um, why do you think John Elway is so bad at evaluating young quarterbacks? Is there anything uh, that he gets attached to? Like the Drew Locke stuff out of everybody else? Is like, that's who you're well, latching clearly on to, arm, my guy? Clearly arm strength. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, look at, <laughs> you look at Paxton Lynch, and then you look at, uh, you know, obviously trading for Joe Flacco and, and now being in love with Drew Locke. He loves arm strength and is kind of forgetting that that doesn't mean you're good at quarterbacks. So I think with Elway, it's hard. I, I think also... It scouting isn't a one man job, and I think John Elway has made it a one man job with his decision making. You got to rely on your good scouts to help you out and challenge you and, and strip your biases. John Elway was a fantastic NFL player, and I also I often say this. A lot of people ask me, they're like, you know, well, why are you know great players not always the best evaluators of talent? And it's because it's hard for them to grasp you know, inferior talent, not being able to do things that they could. And I think Elway has probably struggled with that because he probably sees a player like Paxton Lynch and goes, well, he's all the talent in the world. He can run, he can throw a mile, and he can throw it 100 miles an hour while he's at it. But at the end of the day, that doesn't translate to being a good quarterback. And I think that's been, you know, one of his shortcomings as a GM. Are you sure he just doesn't really fucking hate pro football focus? Man, that's what it is. I, it might that might be it too at the end of the day i mean what i don't even know it's he's like you love baker you love kyler you love these 75 percent completion percentage quarterbacks who just nickel and dime teams to death no i'm gonna take the guy below 60 yeah yeah drew lock 57 yeah 57 percent completion percentage in college sign me up never won a big game in his life all right let's do this i love it. it I, I think he's doubling down. It's it's great. Um, who's your favorite underrated prospect in this class? Oh, man, it's so hard to even judge who's underrated anymore. I, I guess uh, for me, I, I think the guy that I'm higher on than most, I think he'll be a top five wide receiver for me is Nicole Hardman out of Georgia. Mm. I mean, elite speed. He's a four three five kind of guy. He's a deep threat. He can take a screen to the house. He, he's tough. He's everything you want in a player like that where, you know, former five-star that was really good at Georgia. Georgia doesn't really feature anyone, so he's not going to have these big 12 receiving numbers of 1,200 yards and 15 touchdowns. But yeah. I think if you're looking for – he really reminds me of T.Y. Hilton coming out of college. Same kind of player, huh. and I think you get him in an offense that throws the ball more. I think people will be like, wow, he was, he was really slept on as a top 50 player that, that was underdrafted. Who have you watched a lot of – and you still just have like everybody likes them. You see it like they all watch the same tape you do, but you just you just don't get it. Ooh, that's a good one, and it's not an easy one to answer. I think the, here's one for me where I, I don't get the kind of hype. Jawan Taylor from Florida is a good player. He's a good right tackle. I mean, I've seen people say he's offensive tackle one over Jonah Williams. I've seen people say he's a top five pick. I've seen people say he's a top 10 pick and 
I, I don't see a special player. I see a good player. There's a big difference. I think he's okay in pass pro. He's strong. He's big. He's, you know, has a little bit of an edge in the run game. But, I mean, once again, I just it, it comes down to it. I think the hype train people ride sometimes. I th- have we forgotten that Jonah Williams is one of the best tackles in college football for years? It's You know, it's, it's hard for it's me. It's Alabama no fatigue, much, maybe. It is. It truly is. And I think when I look at it, I sit there and I go, you know, Jawan Taylor's a first round player. Sure. But I just, I don't see it in terms of this top 15 talk. And I just, I just went from, he got to, like you said, he got top five, five, top 10 height, top 15, and he'll go in the top 15, but uh, it wouldn't be me if I was making that decision. Okay. Um, the last thing, and then we have to go. Um, who do you think we revisit this fall or uh, next spring, whatever, as we're getting ready for the 2020 draft? Um, I know you're just trying to get through the 2019 draft, but let's look in our crystal ball here. Who do you think we end up saying won the 2019 NFL draft and who lost it? Oof, man. Oh, this is going to tell yeah, us that... how you feel about certain GMs in this league. <laughs> um, you know what? I think at the, I think at the end of the day, the Oakland Raiders are going to do a really good job with this draft. And it's a team that I absolutely crushed. After last year's draft, they got my lowest draft grade on six football. I think I gave them a D or a D minus, and I know Miller gave them an F. Uh, we thought they blew the draft, and I think with Mike Mayock and some people in there, I think they have the right football people in there to bounce ideas with John Gruden. I love the AB trade, and I think they're going to make the most of these top four picks in the top thirty-five selections. So I, I look at the Raiders, and I'm excited to see what they do, and I'm excited to see how they rebuild this team. And I do think they're going to come out winners in all this. So, you know, maybe it's some blind faith after crushing them last year, but I think they do have the right football people in there to turn this thing around and get it right and and all that draft capital to make things happen after trading two marquee players. In terms of losers, I mean, I'm looking at you, New York Giants, right now, and Dave (laughs) Gettleman. Good Lord. Come on. Like, this is a team that hasn't been proactive about replacing Eli Manning. This is a franchise that – it doesn't know if they want to win now. doesn't know if they want to tank and blow it up. They just kind of like treading water. And I say treading water politely because they've been flat out terrible lately. And I don't even know if they got the head coach right, but it's hard to know that as long as Eli Manning's the guy there. So if the Giants don't go in and crush this draft and come out with two premium players, one of them being a quarterback, they're the losers of this offseason. It's as simple as that. What's funny, or I shouldn't even say funny, what's sad about the Giants thing more than anything to me is that I think by the time they're contenders again, if that ever comes, like Saquon Barkley will already have like needs and denitis in both of his knees. Like, it's scary. This is why you don't- it's scary. Yeah. yeah. You, you take mean... Saquon Barkley last when you're ready. When you're That's your final piece where it's like, all right, we have the quarterback. We have the offensive line. Now let's do that. Like the Pats... The, the the holes were wide open for Burkhead and for uh, Sonny Michelle and all those guys. Like it's it's more about the offensive line. You can make a lot of running backs look really good when you have wide open holes. And if you just watch something, you're like, oh god, that's that's all that was. Like Damian Williams getting through stuff. Like it doesn't really matter if you're Kareem Hunt. Like if your offensive line is good enough to push people around and, and you scheme really well. And that's what the the Rams did with McVay. With the difference between like how Todd Gurley was running. Um, last year and the year before that with McVay versus the Jeff Fisher years is just it was a different scheme and it was a better offensive line and um I don't know I just I think Barkley is it's just a gigantic waste and the people who are still like well you take that number two overall guy and it's fine it's like well they don't have the quarterback and now they're not gonna have the quarterback again and then they're gonna have to get a rookie guy in there and by the time he's ready and they're contending for this division again 
Saquon might be 27, 28. Like that might be it. This stuff happens quick and it's just, he might get one or two good years out of this running back, this transformational running back. And um, it's just bad team building. But you know what? It's great job security for Dave Gettleman. Like him doing yeah, this. Yeah, kick the can down the road, right? Yes. <laughs> like it's perfect. If he's like, I would, it's very cynical take, I guess, to to go down that road. But if you want job security, this is the way to do it is what Gettleman's doing. He's, <laughs> he's great. Um, But I guess who I would say looking back um, in the crystal ball next year, who wins this draft? I think the Steelers are going to do some crazy stuff with their picks. We're all killing them. And I still am going to bet on this organization to figure it out. They had the second most wins um, outside of the Pats in like the last five years. I believe in Tomlin. I think Colbert's still a good GM. They got screwed with the Ryan Shazier stuff. I think they're still really good at identifying talent in the draft, like where they got Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, everything. I could see the Steelers like just like wrecking one of these next two drafts and just being like, oh, they did it again. The Steelers did it again. Am I crazy for thinking the Steelers might actually be back sooner than people think? No, you're not, because this team finds skill talent better than anyone else in the NFL. I mean, look at right. the receivers they've drafted over the years. Look at the running backs. At Big Ben, there's some problems there, but at the end of the day, the guy is a really good quarterback. So uh, I'm with you. It's not crazy to think that they could turn this thing around. I, you know, I think they'll need more picks to do it. And I think the biggest question for them is, can they repair that defense? Yeah. Um I, I don't know. I think it's going to take uh, multiple years. They may be getting rid of the guy who wasn't sure which tight end was uh, going to be active for their team the the week of uh, preparation. So maybe move on from Keith Butler and change that up a little bit. That might not be the the worst idea, I don't think. Connor, we can listen to you on Stick to Football, one of the best NFL draft college football podcasts that I listen to every week. Um, is there anything we need to check out from you guys this week? Yeah, of course. And we're going to actually reveal, that's why I said it tonight, uh, our top 25 players individually. So Matt's top 25, my top 25. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, there's going to be a lot of differences. We haven't looked at each other's boards and I don't even know, maybe since summer. So we're going to be looking at each other like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, and then he's going to be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? So it's always, uh, it's always <laughs> a really good time. And, and we're going to have Tony Jefferson on with the Ravens, ask him uh, if he's excited to play with Earl Thomas. I think I know the answer to that. So, it's going to be a really good show on Stick to Football on Wednesday and three shows a week. It, the fun doesn't stop, my dude. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and please do what you can to get Sims and Lefko back together. That would be great. <laughs> Just, I understand. I understand it's going to be a tough thing to do, but uh, if you can facilitate something, that would be great. And you can just tell them I sent them your way. Like, I, I'll, I'll do it. Sims is a big fan of the Chase on his podcast, so it works out. Um, Connor, thank you so much, and uh, we will have to talk in soon. No doubt. Thanks a lot, Chase. I appreciate you having me on, man. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second and leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.